Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Nature Podcast. I'm bringing a real delight of a conversation to you. I spoke to the wonderful Chase McMurrin for this interview and I listened back just now and ah, so often it is exactly what I needed um, to listen back to even though of course I have been in this conversation um, a while ago. We recorded this in October But I feel like at the moment, especially, I'm in this beautiful flow where I have this little scheduling calendar and that keeps getting fucked with because life happens, but then I return to it whenever I can, bringing more interviews your way. And it always seems like the one that's coming up next is exactly what I needed to hear. And yeah, there's been just so much joy in listening to Chase. He's... um. An incredible artist, I think, and um, also so many other things. Someone with a really beautiful, really holistic and interconnected understanding of healing and someone who can bring real magic to all kinds of spaces, which I witnessed because he played the harp, for example, in one of the creative um, space sessions that I facilitated last year which you're still welcome to join. We actually have one coming up this Saturday. So I will link to that in the show notes. But I will also say that the other thing that stood out to me listening back, maybe this is a bit of a random reflection, but um, like I said, we recorded this in October and I didn't know then that my friend was going to die in December. And to me, that's this really big before and after moment in my life. And of course, it's also embedded in this bigger before and after moment that we're having together with the pandemic. And it made me think about how, in a way, I'm really grateful that so often we don't know what is to come and how there's such beauty to be in the moment and to just kind of surrender to not knowing what is to come, what grief is to come, and what loss is to come, but also what joy. And I think in the last few weeks, I've moved houses, um, which was difficult and exhausting, and I really don't like doing it, to be honest. Anyway, I did it, and I'm very grateful for this new home that I'm in now, which is better suited to me because it's on the ground floor and I no longer have to do the stairs. But I'm noticing this real sense of short-term memory loss and a lack of focus sometimes and that can be really frustrating because I love working with deep focus but this not knowing and this being in the moment and not constantly trying to future trip and anticipate it's kind of amplified by this sense of being a bit scattered and losing memory as a response to another loss in my life that feels like it's making me very present and it's making me really appreciate things like listening back to this conversation and hearing Chase talk about um, hot beverages and the the ever everyday ritual of them and the slowing down to really feel that kind of delight and I was like yeah that's actually so true Anyway, I won't waffle much more because I really want you to listen to this beautiful episode and I hope you'll enjoy it. I'll just share a few more things, practical-wise for me. The first is, like I said, you're welcome to join the Creative Nature 
Coven, if you haven't already, we are meeting twice a month for creative co-working, which is a really sweet way to be in togetherness and to commit to your creative practice in whatever form or shape you like. Um, it's on a sliding scale through Patreon, so you can donate whatever you wish. Um, and it's also supporting the podcast, which is great. And the second announcement is that I'm offering a free a virtual business retreat next weekend so not this coming one but uh, the 9th and 10th of April um, I did one of those in the autumn and it was just incredible I really loved it I had such a good energy we got a lot done we had a lot of fun meeting other people and having honest discussions so if you are a small business person please consider joining that that would be really fun okay thank you so much for listening Hello everyone, I have such a beautiful, excited feeling about this conversation. I know I say this often, but I really mean it. I'm talking to Chase Everett McMurrin today, and I want to tell you about how I know him because it is a bit magical. So um, as you know, or might know, I facilitate Creative Space Session, and I had the absolute honor to witness Chase playing the harp. And I really, it's hard to put into words how much I love listening and how beautiful a space he was able to create around the hub playing. So to give context in the creative space sessions, we all kind of hang out. I usually light a candle and draw a card in the beginning. And we did this, I believe it was still winter when, um, when this happened, the hub playing. And it was just so wonderful. And I did some writing in some of those sessions. And then um, I would share the writing with someone I was working with at the time. And both me and the person were so surprised by what came through the writing when I shared it, because I was writing about things that I felt were quite difficult at the time, you know, relationships and plans that I had that I'd shifted and, you know, how life is. But somehow the hard playing really softened my edges and my perspective around these things so much that I was really able to see things from a completely different point of view and so I know there's so much more that you do chase and your magic isn't just to have playing but this felt important to share as an intro so yeah thank you so much for being here for making time for sharing your heart playing and for agreeing to talking to me Oh my goodness, Yara, <laughs> it's such a delight to be here with you and I'm so nourished hearing about that. Thank you for, thank you for letting me know. Um, <laughs> I, it's amazing how, how easily um, I forget that, that the harp is a harp in a way or that like, the day-to-day the -day things that sort of become um, sort of not necessarily part of the woodwork, but just sort of what is. I think I, I forget how beautiful um, harps harps are. So, um, uh, yeah, it's sort of basking in that that awareness of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. It is so easy to, yeah, just integrate really big things into our lives, and then remember if people don't know them and they're new to them then it's it's a big deal yeah um so 
this is a potentially big question and you're welcome to take this in any direction you like but the podcast has been renamed to creative nature and so I, I really like asking people what their creative nature is and I'm so curious to hear what you'll say mm, creative nature oh I so much comes up with that that invitation and I think yeah what's initially showing up is is beautiful stationary <laughs> and I'm, yeah I'm kind of uh, surprised by that but yeah beautiful pens um and um yeah stamps and stickers I, I think that that immediately comes up the idea of um Hmm. Like a freedom and also um, form or structure in a way. I, I I realize more and more how much I love love both and and how how yeah comforting it is to have a container. And so I'm thinking about how yeah like the predictability of an envelope in a way when sending a letter or the yeah the margins of a page that for me that that I think helps really uh, yeah create a, a context for for being more playful and a little bit uh, less yeah less concerned about the um the outside or the borders in a way and I, I guess I'm thinking about this research and I forget a little bit um, what the, the finer details are though I remember hearing about how in a schoolyard when there's a fence um, the, the children or the learners roam the entire playground um, whereas when there isn't a fence they tend to kind of like cling to the the building and and I kind of think about that with creativity uh, at least in this moment that like having that fence um helps me feel like it's okay to kind of um yeah take risks or um yeah meander um, as long as I kind of know where the know where the fence is oh my gosh that makes so much sense I didn't expect to, to go where we went with this but I yeah this explains so much I think in my own creative practice this year which was really held by um, accident recovery and being very home centered and not you know kind of roaming around this really small patch of earth basically and how that's allowed me to take so many more creative risks than I have ever taken and I hadn't heard about that study it makes much sense and yet it's really surprising so that's mm. super cool thank you for sharing yes <laughs> my pleasure can you tell us a little bit more about the season and the landscape that you're in in the world so we talked a little bit off record about trees and um it would just be nice to hear a little bit more about where you are and how you relate to that place mm. yeah so i'm I'm speaking to you from Takaranto or Gigi Gaming, um, which are, are 
traditional names for Toronto and um, Toronto in Ontario, Canada. And it's certainly autumn here. And as I look out the window, there's there, uh, this beautiful color. The sun is, is shining on some, some yellowing leaves on trees out my window. Um, there's probably, I'd say a third of the leaves left. And so there's still the, the magic of the, the color change. And it definitely feels, feels like fall. And I've really, um, really been, been appreciative of, of being able to, uh, to still travel by, by bike. And so in some of my work, I, I get to yeah, visit people, um, people who are generally homebound because of their, their health. And so it, it really feels like a gift to be able to travel um, on my bicycle. Um, and this weather is sort of, I mean, I don't know if there's such thing as, as perfect, um, though it feels, um, feels maybe exactly right for right now, um, where, um, yeah, it's sweater weather, and the, the sense of it being crisp enough to feel like almost there's more room for coziness I suppose <laughs> by adding layers uh, and it's not so hot that that I arrive at someone's home <laughs> drenched in sweat uh, so it's sort of yeah a special special uh, feature for this time of the the year mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful so you touched on this a little bit and we also talked about the heart and I would love to hear more about the work that you're doing in these different fields and if the harp is featuring in all of them and if so how because it is just so magical. I hope that other people get to experience lots of it as well. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, I've been sad about um about the heart being a bit neglected through the pandemic. It's, um, I have two, two harps and I've been able to share them via video, which has been really, um, really lovely. And um, even with, with the challenges in terms of sound quality, that's still been a, a really, um, yeah, special opportunity for me to continue to, to share um, the, the sound of, of the harps. But yeah, pre pre pandemic, I would typically um, typically bring one of my my harps with me. Uh, its name is Goldie. It's a it's a small enough harp that I can wear it on my back um, when I bike. Um, and with the pandemic, it it didn't quite feel um, as as welcome because of all of the the attempts to really reduce. Um, yeah, reduce spread of the infection. And so, um, yeah, yeah, just the, it, thinking about the grief of that where you know, typically, um, yeah, home visits would be about an hour um, before the pandemic and, and, and include some heart time and acupuncture time and um, yeah, time for, time for stories to unfold and, and yeah. 
I'd like to hope room room for all that's needed uh, in in a, yeah in in a shared time together. Though with the pandemic, that really got truncated uh, to sort of um, almost in and out. The idea of like the least amount of time in person possible, which is so heartbreaking. And so a lot of the visit was um, on the phone before I would go in. And then when I'd, I'd go in to visit, it would be more more specifically kind of the, the medical piece of, of doctoring, of, of um, yeah, seeing someone physically and, and, and examining um, uh, sort of related to health concerns. And so my poor harp had to stay home. Um, yeah, good news these days with the shift um, the shift in in the state of pandemic, at least um, in, in my neck of the woods, is that I think I can begin to yeah begin to bring the harp um, with me again. Um, my other my other work is specifically psychotherapy with with professional artists and. That work has been shifting a lot for me over the last while, trying to really find a way to integrate uh, in a good way my yeah my increasing uh, appreciation for and respect of um, I would say uh, like integrative ways of of understanding the world and and specifically. Um, shamanic understandings or uh, uh, yeah well there are so many different words to describe it though I would say yeah a, a more interconnected and um, nuanced way of understanding healing um, both as as um, crossing time and space and also being um, being related to yeah, each other uh, rather than rather than the idea that that some sort of health issue is sort of specific to to one person who who is currently suffering that it uh, it's very likely connected to to many others and is is much more complicated than um, than it may seem initially and so yeah with that work I've been playing with with words and and feeling more comfortable calling it supported self-discovery rather than psychotherapy um, with yeah with the intention of being being really clear that that in my role uh, I want to be an assistant rather than an expert uh, because it's impossible to be an expert uh, of someone else's lived experience uh, that and, and also playing with with the idea of it being um, support for for reducing overwhelm and acknowledging that supported self-discovery can be hard to do when there's there's a lot of overwhelm and, and yeah distress about really challenging issues like pandemics and climate collapse and such and so um, yeah shifting gears a little bit in in, in that work that I I get to do and, and being being curious about how to how to support people in reducing overwhelm in in what can feel like a very yeah, overwhelming world these days. 
Yeah, that's a bit. <laughs> wow, I love this expression, assisted self-discovery, so much, Chase. This is really beautiful. And I wonder what would become possible if, if, um, if yeah, maybe the medical system or our ways of thinking about health and illness would shift towards all of us kind of working with each other towards assisted self-discovery. Mm. I love that so much. Um, I also love that you work specifically with artists. And I know, in a way, this is a really difficult question. I really don't expect you to have any kind of particular answer to this. But, um, and I also know it's so unique. And like you said, it's both unique and in the individual and so interconnected. But I wonder, as you're looking at the world from your beautiful perspective right now, what do you think does the artist's heart need at the moment? No. <laughs> oh my, my beautiful question. Hmm. I think the word heartache comes to my mind. And hmm. I, I think that, yeah, brokenheartedness gets really well I don't want to make a generalization so my sense is that uh, being brokenhearted is quite inconvenient <laughs> in terms of <laughs> yes. you know in terms of the world these days of like you know capitalism and needing to 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 pay rent that like that there isn't there isn't a lot of space carved out for for heartbreak on one hand and then in another sense I think um the heartbreak and struggle of artists is sometimes fetishized or kind of gobbled up by um by people who uh people who experience it or, or get to see and hear and um yeah experience what artists uh, create and, and share and so there's an interesting piece and in, in sort of come back to your question but what the artist's heart needs right now I I feel like it needs acknowledgement of how um, how how limited um, the space can can feel and be um, and, and I suppose acknowledgement that that, that, um, that the work of grieving is really really lonely um, and I mean in some ways when I I say that it's it, it brings up more sadness uh, that it's it can feel so isolating sometimes to to grieve because it, grief is is absolutely kind of one of a kind for each of us as it happens and so there's a loneliness because it it can't be completely understood by someone else and though at the same time I think there's something really really powerful about about the idea that the grief is 
is in fact shared. And so I, maybe I'm contradicting myself. Um, but I don't think so. Um, the way we experience it in the moment is uniquely ours. No, the likelihood that the grief is is borrowed or inherited or held on behalf of someone or something else, I think can offer the the yeah, the possibility of shared connection and and community in a way. And so it yeah, I'm just I, I'm thinking so much about intergenerational um, processes and, and constellations and this this awareness of how um, how in the present moment not only are we ever every age we've ever been ourselves uh, like our, our our entire histories with us sort of in the way that we experience the present moment though it it expands beyond that in the sense that the experience of, of our ancestors, whether it be ones that we know well or didn't know, that there's there's this long line of, of connection. And so I think to come back to that question of what the artist heart needs to know or could know, I think is yeah, an offering of acknowledgement that the loneliness is is also um, companioned with this sort of um, ever-expanding um, possibility for connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that feels true for me. I, I really relate to this complexity that you spoke to of like the both the grief is both inconvenient and isolating in a way um, and in other ways it can also be this really beautiful gateway to intimacy with self and others if we're willing to go there and it doesn't yeah it's, it's more complicated than it sounds I wish it was more straightforward <laughs> but I remember a moment this year with someone that I've known for a really long time. So we have this really beautiful, ancient friendship, I feel, and I shared something sad and my friend said, well, maybe this will be fixed in this way. And I really had this moment of like, oh, no, you know, and I say this with so much love because I'm sure I've done this kind of thing myself, absolutely. And also it was coming really from a place of love and uh, wanting to be supportive. But this this way that we sometimes really want to fix these mm. things for someone else rather than acknowledge mm. the pain and the grief and being present with that because we just don't have a lot of practice with that, right? So I mm. think that, yeah, the response to kind of want to fix it is maybe more convenient sometimes. And I think that can make the grieving person feel quite isolated. And then on the other hand, I've also had conversations with like almost strangers where I shared something that I had experienced and we had this overlap and lived experience in a particular way, I guess. And there was this immediate sense of intimacy of like, yeah, I really see that. I know what that's like. I'm, I'm sorry going through that. And, mm. you know, so it's both, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. That, that impulse to make things better and to 
yeah, to reduce someone's suffering is is so um I think so complicated because it there's it's when I'm thinking about it now it's this mix of of love for sure and and this desire for this person that we care about to feel better potentially um although there's there's something so violent about about trying to fix something and because it it kind of implies that we that we might even know best um and I'm not, I can't think of a, like a specific example as I'm saying that, but the sense that like, how do we know how to fix something? Like it, 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 to me, it implies that, that we have some information that the other person doesn't or that we know what they, what they need. And, and so it, I think that it, it's messy in a way because. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that was my phone ringing. <laughs> I, I feel like that was just affirming where what you were just saying, basically. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um, yeah, yeah. My ringtone is um, "Everything's Coming Up Roses." <laughs> um, from I think it's from Gypsy, the musical. Um, what was I saying? The idea of um, how messy it is, right? Because I think sometimes a part of us really desperately wants someone to know what we need and like to know exactly what to say or or to or to fix something. And I think for me and in, in my learning and my practice, I I've been been really um, really trying to make an effort to kind of sit with I suppose the the paradox that that people I found may ask for advice or ask for something to be fixed um though that may that may be coming from only a part of them and there may be other parts who 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 aren't really interested in someone else fixing or or directing and, and deciding what's best and so I I think with with grieving in particular because it has ripple effects when when we're resting or our pace is a bit different than than it was before um, or we don't necessarily have the energy to sort of engage in the same way that that has effects on others and I think that 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 can sometimes uh, motivate people's desire to fix because it's uncomfortable for them or I'll say for me or for us um, to sit with, with, with uncertainty and discomfort and, um, and a change of pace. And so, yeah, I, I think I've, I've really, um, I've really been uh, been aware of um, something something that Stephen Porges talked about. He he developed polyvagal theory, um, and he he said in a talk not long ago that that when when 
someone gives us advice, um, unless we're feeling so connected and safe and like res resonant with the person, um, there's a really good chance that our nervous system will interpret the advice as a threat. Um, and the way that I, I'm understanding that is that if someone gives us advice, I think to a part of us, it's almost as if like there's something wrong with us for not already knowing it. <laughs> like it's, it, the advice may be so helpful. And yet for part of us, it's almost like we did something wrong because we didn't innately sort of know it or not need the advice at the beginning. Um, and so when, when a person is, is given advice, um, the options sort of go back to like the basic nervous system, uh, fight flight options of like rejecting the advice and fighting it, um, uh, fleeing, like leaving the situation or like avoiding the person potentially, um, or becoming immobilized by it and sort of shut down and, and possibly defeated in a way. And so it, it's made me think so carefully about the process of, of like offering advice. And, and even I found that with the process of asking for permission first, I, my sense is that the nervous system, even with that permission given, is likely to um, likely to react to advice unless sort of the stars are aligning and and, and the the experience feels really kind of supported and uh, and safe and so um, advice maybe is a little different than fixing although they feel very similar in my mind that there's this desire to yeah to, to get out of the, the weeds and to feel feel happy again or whatever it may be. Yes, <laughs> yes. The desire to get out of the weeds is so strong. Yes, I, I really hear that. Mm. Thank you for sharing. I hadn't heard about, I know a little bit about um, polyvagal theory, but I hadn't heard about this idea of our nervous system reacting this way, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the next time, I'll witness that in myself or others. I'll be really thinking about my nervous system. Hmm. I mean, I should be thinking about my nervous system more often anyway, really. So that's great. Oh. <laughs> um, you're also a home visiting physician for long living elders, which is such a beautiful way of describing your work. Um, I hope honestly that when I'm very old, someone will come around on a bike and just say hi and play the harp and, <laughs> and offer some medical attention. But I have so many questions about this. So firstly, I would love to hear how you got into this work, if this is something you always knew you wanted to do. And mm. then maybe since I really enjoyed asking the question about the artist's heart, um, I wonder what the elder heart is wanting and needing at the moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I really, in I would say, that magical sort of way, ended up uh, yeah, becoming a home visiting physician. When I, when I went into medical school, I, I didn't really know that physicians did house calls, um, and, and. 
going in into to medicine, I had had a real desire to support. Um, uh, I mean, there's lots of different names that get used: um, older people, seniors, elders. Um, the field itself is called geriatrics. Um, I knew that I wanted to to really, uh, yeah, support people who were later in their lives. Um, yeah, it turned out that when I was doing my uh, my clinical rotations, I, I I was able to spend some time with with a home visiting palliative uh, team, um, and just really discovered how how uh, I would say beautiful and uh, nourishing home visits. Uh, could be um, both for for the person and their people, and also for for practitioners. And speaking personally, I I'll admit that in in my early practice, I was I was um, I was doing a bit more of sort of a bunch of different um, types of, of practice. Though I I quickly discovered that in sort of typical clinical work that I. I felt like there wasn't enough time, and and I often felt like if I if I didn't look at the clock as closely and let things sort of unfold naturally and and let them be how long they felt they needed to be, um, another part of me was very concerned about people like waiting in the waiting room and and getting parking tickets because they were they were. Um, delayed because I was slow and so it kind of felt like uh, I had to choose between like being efficient or being effective and that's a binary and I realized that that's unique to me another there are physician magicians who who somehow help people feel like like they were in in the in the room for an hour and it was really like eight minutes I've, I've heard those stories and met those physicians so I know that I'm not one of them. And so I ended up becoming almost spoiled by by home visits and uh, and therapy sessions where they're at least 45 minutes. And sometimes home visits can be up to like two hours depending on what's going on. Um, and so the contrast between those much more sort of um, spacious uh, sessions um, and and a 10 or 15 minute encounter in, in the clinic setting um, made me realize that I, yeah, I just, I, I'm so, so much more, um, I think, connected and uh, able to, able to meet people as people when I'm in their homes and, and, um, for me, it's it's a really, really, really important privilege to be able to to go into someone's home and um, and to be let into their world. I feel like I I get to know so much more about a person um, by seeing them in in the space that they've um, they've made their own. And and yeah, the the richness of that for me is is really. Yeah, really like it. I 
I'm kind of at a loss for words, like hard to imagine how lucky I am in a way that I get to do it. And and I'm thinking of times where uh, uh, in my neighborhood, um, there are a lot of espresso drinkers. And so I've learned over the years that it's both diagnostic and therapeutic for um, for all involved to ha- to have someone um, make me espresso because I get to learn how they're doing and functioning in the kitchen, which is sort of a clinical concern on my mind. Um, <laughs> and we also get to share <laughs> um, caffeine together. Like it's just it's like another world compared to clinical practice for me, anyway. So I'm I'm really really lucky and I think that's why I've continued to do it just because I've sort of I know how yeah how beautiful it can be beautiful and tragic <laughs> I will also say that um it it can be quite um yeah quite heartbreaking to see yeah see into people's worlds in that sort of way um I I realize that um, how someone shows up in clinic and and how they are at home can be so different, particularly in in some people who are a bit more frail, where the outing to the doctor might be a really special social event. Like they might have a niece picking them up and they might be getting their hair done. They might be going for lunch and seeing the doctor. And so the, the version of them on that day um, may be totally different than what, what we might might see if we kind of see them on a, on a less, uh, less social day. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of suffering that I think um, can be, yeah, challenging to, challenging to witness and also humbling um, because back to that balance I'm talking before the, of like it, um, respecting the lives people have lived um, and respecting your choices and um, like the the complexity of of their life as it is without the the impulse or the reflex to try to like help, <laughs> um, which may be quite harm harmful if it's not really wanted or or if um if if it's coming from anyone other than the person themselves. So. Um, the question about the heart is, and and what what the heart of an elder might be <sighs> might be yearning for. I think I've been really considering um, my my choice of words lately because I think I love I love calling um, people later in life long living elders, though I'm also realizing that. The definition of elder can really vary, um, and in some ways, I'm starting to think about the definition of an elder as someone who, um, who's kind of been able to do their work um, and come into the role of like mentor and guide and uh, and sort of wise, wise person, and and so who gets to decide that and and how that looks is still I think unclear to me in this moment because it really varies by um yeah by community and and by individual 
though I've been thinking a lot about how many of the people that I I get the privilege to support, I don't know how many of them are are in that role of elder. And some are for sure and, and are really important. Um, you know, supports for children and grandchildren. Though this question of like how how we ready ourselves to be elders one day if if it's in the in the cards for us to make it to elderhood. Um, thinking about that and and so I've been been shifting my language a little bit and and calling them long living people, um, acknowledging that they lived a long time, um, though being a bit more curious about like would they identify as an elder, uh, would their community acknowledge them as one, that kind of thing. So that's been on my mind. But in terms of what they need, I think. I think, I think it comes back to to grief and heartbreak in the sense that, especially if someone has lived a long life, um, particularly if they've grown up in sort of a, a dominant society setting, um, then I suspect that there's a lot of held grief or grief that hasn't really had an opportunity to be uh, acknowledged and uh, supported in in a way that feels uh, respectful and and welcome and so i think a lot of hearts are are almost i would say like confused about how to grieve um, and, and unsure about what grief is and and how to be with that because I across the across the spectrum I think that uh, we're each told very specific stories about how to be in the world and 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 I think messages about grief are quite strong early early in life when we when we witness grown-ups in the response uh, to loss, whatever it may be, and, and, and so uh, I don't think it's it's ever too late. And so for people who are later in life, um, yeah, making space for them to be allowed to um, allowed to to grieve without without being cheered up, <laughs> I think, is something uh, that that some of them might want more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. Um, if that's okay, I would love to pivot a little bit. This is mm. not about anyone's heart specifically. So <laughs> it kind of all is about people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to know how you're keeping yourself company at the moment and maybe how you have last winter and what feels cozy to you at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So delighted that that you, yeah, that you asked that, and and specifically about keeping, yeah, keeping myself company. I think that's one of my favorite, yeah, favorite sort of expressions or way of, of describing it lately. Um, 
company, like keeping keeping ourselves company. And um, I think one of the main ways that I've been keeping myself company is is by being aware that I I am I'm I'm my own companion, and so that 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 acknowledgement that um, that that relationship is um, is a really powerful uh, nourishing one um, and if it isn't then <laughs> then something needs to um, needs to to happen um, or it'd be helpful if it if it could so I think um, I really I really love um, yeah, talking to myself and this awareness of how I'm doing it, and I think it it's been some years now, and so i'm I'm in the habit now of um, of really friendly conversation with myself and and um, my my grandma used to call me Chase Boy or Chasey Boy, um, typically Chase Boy as I got older. and so Generally speaking, when I'm keeping myself company, I refer to myself as Chase Boy, um, and, and particularly in terms of like supportive conversation or pep talk or like checking in and sort of like asking asking myself like how was that? Do you need Do you need anything from me right now? Like I think those those kind of kind check ins are really comforting, and. I, I'm reminded of this this quotation from Donald Winnicott, who um, he was um, he was a pediatrician and a psychoanalyst in 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 the UK, and and he he said that when I'm when I'm there with myself, I'm no longer alone. Or something like that. The conjugation might be a little off, but like basically, yeah. When we can be with ourselves, we're not alone anymore. And and, and so, for me, that that companionship um, feels really, really important. And and as I say it, I I I want to like express <laughs> yeah appreciation. Um, because I I'm so aware that 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 isn't a default setting. Um, that for for many of us, the way that our brains work and our um, default mode networks are not not sort of turned on to the like friendly companion setting. They're typically on the like the yeah um, yeah the sort of impatient critic <laughs> setting, and so I. I want to acknowledge that I I feel very lucky that um, my inner voice these days is is so so kind to me. Um, I will say that that I I still have I I call it like a um, uh, like a panel or a committee of <laughs> concerned inner um, inner consultants who who sometimes weigh in even if I don't ask them to. So rather than a sole inner critic, I feel like it's more like a, um, yeah, a team of like legal and risk management uh, workers who are 
always at the ready to play in about how to be more careful. Um, so luckily I have this sort of kind voice that can generally um, yeah, assuage those concerned, uh, those concerned inner voices. Um, in terms of the other things that are nourishing so briefly, I think um, I really, I really love, um, I love hot beverages like like tisanes and 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 coffee and I think something that I found really um, really lovely to to develop as as a practice is um, yeah slowing down to delight in in the mug and the um, and the steam before I begin drinking something um, I I've discovered that I like I am really really delighted by steam um and it, there's something so beautiful about watching it rise um and to know that there's so much science to it that that I don't really understand in terms of condensation and you know all the the fancy sort of um ways that water <laughs> water lives um in us and around us um but that that really like it it, as long as I remember to do it, gives this kind of playful moment for me to sort of, yeah, be kind of geeky and delighted about, about steam uh, and to like, yeah, acknowledge that it, it's okay to be delighted by whatever I'm drinking. And because it's very easy if I don't do that to sort of forget I'm even drinking as I'm drinking something sort of an autopilot experience and so that that's been really lovely and especially as the weather cools these these warm um yeah warm warm drinks are even more even more exciting <laughs> mm. yeah i love watching steam so much too there's been so much synchronicity in this conversation it's just earlier i was walking to my kitchen, watching some ginger boil for tea and mm. it looked so beautiful. And I was like, oh, steam. I don't know <laughs> how it works, but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the idea of this inner um, committee as well. I, I think mine has like, I think they're just on it with the risk assessment sometimes. <laughs> and, and um, and it's nice to think of them as just doing their job and but they're also being this really big voice of kindness and respect and beauty. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Chase, I could honestly talk to you forever, but I wanna respect your time and the listeners' time and <laughs> and time in, in general. So I wonder, is there anything that you feel you want to say that you haven't said yet? And if people want to connect with you in some way, I know you said you're not actually loving Instagram that much, but is that a way to connect with you? Like, I'm sorry, I can't deny that there is heart playing there. And I just want people <laughs> to have a chance to look at that. So I feel it would be oh. sad not to share that. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's true. It, there was a spell bit where I was trying to post every few days and then I... Yeah, I don't think I fell off the wagon. I think I, 
a part of me like totally just stepped off the wagon. I was like, mm, take a break. Although now you're inspiring me. So I, <laughs> yeah, if people want to track me down, please do um, find me on Instagram. Um, and yeah, there's a collection of some harp music and some piano music and some mug moments where I celebrate some of my, my beloved beloved mugs um so yeah and and if people want to reach out they can message me there um clinically i'm kind of at a crossroads sort of still deciding um the best way forward uh, in terms of yeah practice and so uh if people want to check me out on instagram i'll probably um yeah evolve um via video there and um in terms of last things, I I would love to share um, share a link to Angela Lansbury singing "Everything's Coming Up Roses." So if it's okay with you, I can share that to get posted. Um, yeah. Mainly because I <laughs> I really love Angela Lansbury, and um, uh, she she's a go to sort of imagined resource for me. So if um, yeah, if ever I need um extra extra support um in my imagination i sort of imagine what <laughs> what angela Lansbury might say in one of her roles um so i will share that and then there's a lovely really short video about supporting people who are grieving by megan divine um and she uh, if i understand right i think she studied it specifically on like the the yeah, ways of supporting one another when we're grieving. And so it's a beautiful short animation that, that I'd love to share um, just because we talked a lot about grief today. So I'd love that if, if that's all right. Of course, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Shays. I will definitely add these links in. And also just thank you so much for everything you shared today. You've been so generous and kind and funny and inspiring and I feel assistant in my assisted in my self discovery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Um, I will so so briefly just say that 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 concept of assisted self discovery or supported self discovery um, is is really at the heart of the Hakomi method. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't make it up. It's it's sort of it's certainly. Um, borrowed from Ron Kurtz, who created that method, and and it's specifically about yeah how to how to how to be supported in in a safe way so we can be mindful um, to notice what comes up in in um, yeah in spaces where we feel like there's there's room to get to know ourselves better. So yeah. wanna wanna name that that I didn't make that up. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Chase. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Yarrow. All the best. <laughs>